Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Haggai chapter 2. We will kind of be all over Haggai uh, this morning. If you don't know where that is, it's a little minor prophet that squeezed between Zephaniah and Zechariah on page 791, I believe, of your pew Bible. I've never preached a sermon on Haggai. Uh, If you have heard a sermon preached on Haggai, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, No, so our theme during Advent is uh, we're walking through the minor prophets looking for Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. It, It tells us about Jesus, who he is, and what he came to do. And so we can find Jesus anywhere in the Bible. And so Christmas is really about Jesus coming to be with his people, to be present with them, to redeem them, to win them to himself, and ultimately come back and dwell with them forever. And Haggai has that, that message for us this morning, and so we're going to look at this book together. I'm going to read uh, the first four verses of chapter 1, and then jump over to the 13th verse of chapter 1, then we'll uh, jump into chapter 2. So this is God's word for us this morning. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now if you jump over to verse 13. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord's hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, O you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The, later, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we 
do come before you now, pleading your mercy, pleading your strength, pleading your spirit upon us that we might understand your word. Open up our hearts that we might uh, understand the truths of it and apply them to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Really, the main point of of everything I'm going to say this morning, the main point of the sermon is that God wants to dwell with his people. The whole whole story of redemption, the whole mechanics of the gospel, that that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again and Jesus ascended. All these pieces of the gospel, all are leading, leading us to the reality that God wants to be with you. God wants to dwell with you. This past week we celebrated Thanksgiving, and a lot of us dwelt with our family and our friends. We had great moments and maybe some hard moments. I want you to think about the great moments, the loved ones that you spent time with and dwelt with and enjoyed their company. That's what God wants with his people. He wants to be with you in that intimacy, in that harmony, in that peace. And all of redemptive history is headed that way. Well, God will return. Jesus Christ will return on this earth. He'll make all things new. And he will dwell with his people forever in peace and harmony and in love. That's the main point that I want to drill home today. But my question for you as we start is how does that reality land on you this morning? When you hear me talk about God wanting to dwell with you, God wanting to be with you, God wanting to be in your presence Not some version of you you put on social media, but the true you. How does that land on you this morning? Is it something that's sweet and beautiful and that you cherish, that you long for, that encourages your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ? Or is it something that you're kind of indifferent towards? It's something you've heard before. Maybe you yawn at that reality that it doesn't necessarily move you. It doesn't impact you in the way that you would want it to impact you. How does the message of Jesus wanting to dwell with you affect your life today? Well, that's what's happening here in Haggai. God wants to dwell with his people, and yet they're indifferent to his presence. They're cold to the reality of him desiring to be with them. Verse verse 2 of chapter 1 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In other words, God desires to dwell with his people, and their response is they don't really care. They're apathetic to that reality. They don't care to rebuild the temple. Now, the temple during this time, the second temple period of redemption, was very, very, very significant. It represented God's presence with his people. It was the epicenter of the Israelites' life. They did life around the temple. It's where they celebrated. It's where they sacrificed. It's where they worshipped. It was at the core of who they were. And here are God's people as they come out of exile not caring at all about God's presence, not caring at all about his temple. Now, if you were the original audience of Haggai, that would be completely shocking, staggering, 
that God's people would not care, would yawn at the temple not being erected, not being reestablished, God's presence not being with them. In 1939, Eric Brandt wrote a recommendation to the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. And he said this, I hereby humbly suggest that the Peace Prize of 1939 be awarded to the German Chancellor and Fuhrer Adolf Hitler, a man who, in the opinion of millions of people, is a man who more than anyone in the world deserves this highly respected award. What, I mean, that should be shock, that's shocking to us that somebody would actually write a recommendation that Adolf Hitler would win the Nobel Peace Prize. But it really did happen. And the committee really did receive the recommendation and really was shocked by it. Shocked by it so much they dismissed it. They laughed at it. Well, this morning we come to a very shocking passage about God's people being indifferent to his presence. And it's not something we can dismiss. It's something we have to deal with. It's the start of Advent. It's been a long year for a lot of us. Years get longer and longer. A lot is happening in our lives. And now it's Advent. There's a lot going on. Parties, activities, presents, events we have to attend. A lot of things we have to do and we're tired and we're exhausted and we're worn out as we come into this season. And I'm pleading with you to be honest with yourself. As I, as I was this week, as I looked at this passage... Is the fact that God wants to dwell with you, does it move you? Are you just indifferent toward it? Because that's where Israel is. i got two points I want to draw out of this passage this morning. Is Israel's struggle and God's promises. Israel's struggle and God's promises. Israel's struggling with two things here in this passage, in this book of Haggai. They're struggling with being afraid, and they're struggling with being discouraged. They're afraid and they're discouraged. Let's let's look at this. Chapter 1, verse 9 says this. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each one of you busies himself with his own house. Here, God is not a happy camper with his people. He's confronting them. He's unpacking the judgment he has upon them for neglecting his presence and neglecting the temple. And why are they neglecting it? Well, Haggai is is a a prophet. It's only two chapters long. And if you want to understand what's really happening in Haggai, you have to go back to Ezra and Nehemiah, these, these people that he prophesied during the time period. And so really Haggai takes place between uh, Ezra four, uh, chapter 4 and Ezra chapter 5. And what we learn there is that God's people returned back from exile. Of the blessing of the, the king of Persia, King Cyrus, sent them back from exile to the promised land to reestablish themselves. And he sent them back with all this gold and all that was left of the temple and all these resources to establish themselves there in the promised land. And they go back and they start working at that working at reestablishing the altar, and they build the altar, and there they, they uh, uh, re- not reinvent, but they, there they go over the um, sacrificial system, and they engage in that, and they atone for their sins before God, and they worship God. And then it comes to the temple, and they lay the foundation of the temple. 
And the people of the land there say, we want to help you build this temple. We want to help, we want to participate in this, this great building that you're building. Because we worship Yahweh too. And Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, the leader of God's people, says, no. No, you are not allowed to do that because this is the cause that God has given to us. This is God's will for us. We are the ones that God has called to move back into this land and reestablish the temple. And from that moment on, the people of the land are persecuting God's people, constantly coming against them. Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 says, The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah. That word there for discouraged means to shun, to isolate, to reject. Now, at first glance, that seems okay, right? Because God's people don't need to go back to the promised land and intermarry and inter, uh, you know, exchange cultures and all that stuff with the people of the land. But it's not good. Why? Because they've been gone from the promised land for, for 70 years. Ashley and, I moved to, Ashley and I moved away from Memphis in 2001. And we got back in 2010. I was fr- I'm from here. But I still had to adjust to what had happened in nine years to the city of Memphis. I had new relationships. I had to build new resources and and build new community. Well, Israel had been gone from the promised land for 70 years. Not a small amount of time. And so they needed the people of the land to help them. They needed their resources. They needed their wisdom. They needed the community. And yet they're rejected and they're shunned. And they're isolated. And all this does is it it causes Israel to think that God has rejected them. That God is not for them. We see this in a repetition constantly throughout the book of Haggai. Where God says, I am with you. Chapter 1, verse 13. Then chapter 2, verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you when when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. This repetition, this refrain throughout the book of Haggai is pointing us towards something. Which Israel, as they feel rejected, feel isolated, are afraid that God has left them. That God is not with them. That God has abandoned them. And that's, we can relate to that. I can relate to that. When hard times come into my life, when, when persecution, or I feel isolated, or I don't feel welcomed, I'm easily tempted to think, well, God is not with me. God's not for me. He doesn't see me. He's abandoned me. And a lot of us struggle with that. I don't know what struggles you're going through right now or what trials you might be having, but I can guarantee you this. God has not left you. He's not left you to yourself. The experience of that trial does not mean that he's not with you in it or he doesn't love you through it. But here, Israel is thinking that. God's people are afraid that that he's left them. And he's reminding them, no, I have not left you. I am with you. Israel struggles with the fear of God leaving them. But also they struggle with the sense of discouragement. Verse 3, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not like nothing in your eyes, God says? Now, God is omniscient. He knows all things. And so when he asks a question, he's not ultimately uh, searching for an answer that he doesn't know. God knows exactly the answer to these questions. 
And he sees God's people looking out over the foundation of the temple and being sad for what it is and what they've lost. They remember the great temple of Solomon where nations came from all over the world to visit. And yet now they look over this foundation and think, what have we lost? It pales in comparison to the great temple of Solomon. And they're discouraged by this. Growing, growing up in, in Memphis, there are certain institutions that I can fondly remember as a child that, that I've visited, that played a part in my life, that don't exist anymore. Like Cecil, Cecil's Grocery Store. I never forget going to meet with Mr. Cecil because I stole some gum. That's a memory in my head in an institution that doesn't exist anymore. Sound Warehouse, where I went and bought my first CD. The Gift and Art Shop, where we registered for weddings. Cat's Music, where I purchased music tickets. Steak and Ale, where I, I took a date. Took, took, took a girl out on a date. Round the Corner Restaurant, where I had a, a pizza burger. Service Merchandise, where I bought uh, a girlfriend a present. An Adventure River, where I caught a disease. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> these are all... Good, I'm glad you're with me. These are all institutions that I grew up with that don't exist anymore. And when I drive around Memphis and I realize and I see these places aren't there anymore, it, it gives me a sense of loss. Things have changed. That's exactly where Israel is. They've been away from the promised land. And the whole temple, the whole life and the whole culture of their people has been eradicated. It's gone off the, the face of the map. And they return to reestablish themselves. And they look out over the landscape. And it's all gone. And it's different. And there's this deep sense of loss and discouragement. And it's painful. And God points that out. You see this new temple and it's as nothing to you. It's nothing compared to the great temple of Solomon. And it triggers in their head what they had lost. Because of their sin, because of their rebellion. You put together the sense of, of God being, or God's people being afraid that he's left them and the sense of loss. And as we entertain that, it becomes it numbs us to God's presence and, and his desire to be with us. As we entertain this pain and this loss of, of what we wanted to have and what we have in reality. And the sense of trials, like has God left us? And this manifests itself in, in faithlessness. And we have this, this heart, this dead heart, this lifeless, tasteless desire to be with God. It ends up in faithlessness. And that's why God comes through Haggai and tells Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant to be what? To be strong. Verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all your people. Be strong. This echoes that moment where Joshua led God's people into the promised land. And he told them to be strong. Be courageous. Why did God tell Joshua to tell his people that? Because he knew they would come up against persecution and opposition. And they would be tempted to believe that God is not with them. That God has abandoned them. Be strong. Do not leave, be faithless. Know that I am with you. I wonder if you can relate to any of that this morning as you think about Advent, you think about the season 
where we reflect, reflect on God's presence coming into the space and the future and the hope that God is coming back? Is that something that wells your heart with joy and excitement? Or does it just bounce off your heart this morning? Because it was bouncing off the hearts of God's people here in Haggai. That's Israel's struggle. But what, what I want us to see and what I want to close out with is God's promise. God doesn't leave them there in their apathy. God promises two things. He promises to be with them and he promises to come get them. This refrain here, I am with you. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I know things are not going well, but I am with you. And God's people, their hearts are stirred up. Zerubbabel, their hearts are stirred up. Joshua, his heart is stirred up. God's, uh, the remnant's heart is stirred up. Why? Because they hear the voice of the Lord telling them that I am with you, that I have not left you. And this commitment to them that I am with you is grounded in his covenant promises. In verse 5 of chapter 2, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. God will never leave us us because he's covenanted with us. He's promised to be with us, never to leave us or forsake us, despite what our circumstances tell us. Despite the losses we, we experience in this life, God will not leave us. And he will not leave you because he promised to. And God never, ever breaks his promises. He is with us. But secondly, he's coming to get us. He's coming again to be in our presence. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations So that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, this is kind of cryptic language. It's hard to understand. And I think the key to this passage is right there in verse 6. Yet once more. This prophecy about shaking the heavens, this prophecy about shaking the nations, this prophecy about the the latter house being greater than the former is all about God's presence because this yet once more is speaking of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 when God's people come out under slavery and Moses leads them to Mount Sinai where God establishes his covenant with them. And God says, I'm going to meet with my people. Cleanse yourself and come meet with me on the third day and gather around this mountain. And Moses, come up on the mountain and I will meet with you. And God's people do that. And Moses goes up to meet with God. And there's there's this amazing event where this cloud covers Mount Sinai. And there's thunder and there's lightning and this fire comes down on the mountain as it represents God's presence. And Israel is surrounding this mountain. And what is happening to the mountain but shaking and it's trembling. 
The whole mountain itself is quaking because God's presence has come. And when Haggai says, yet once more, once again, God is going to come. And as he quaked that mountain there in Exodus chapter 19, he's going to quake the earth. His presence is coming back. And when he comes, he's not going to come in fire. The Bible tells us he's going to come in flesh. Flesh as a little child. And the earth won't shake, and the mountains won't shake, but the heavens will shake. As the shepherds sit out there in the field, and the Lord, the hosts, of the, the army of God, cries out to them, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, on whom his favor rests. This battle cry of the army of God introducing to the shepherds that God has come. And then the nations will bring in their treasures. How do we see that? Well, we see the Magi coming. And what do they do? They come to this baby child, this little child. And what do they bring? They bring these gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. These desire gifts of all these nations. What do they bring? They bring to Jesus. As he comes and he quakes the nations, it's the very presence And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. When Jesus comes, he's not filling a house, he's filling flesh. And we read about this as Sean has preached on it in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The most glorious expression of God's presence with us is in Jesus Christ. The fullness of glory of God dwells in that child as he comes near and invades our space. And that child grew up. Jesus grew up in this broken and miserable world and lived perfectly under the law. And he lived perfectly for people that persecuted him. Perfectly for people that didn't care about him. Perfectly for people that were indifferent toward him. Perfectly for people who are apathetic toward his mission. He lived perfectly for them. And not only did he do that, he went to the cross and he died for them. He died for those that were discouraged. Died for those that were sitting in their loss. He died for those that, that hated him. That despised him. And then he went into the ground. And was buried for three days and came out of the ground. And ascended on high. And we know he's coming back. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. And and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. As Jesus has ascended, he will descend. And he's coming back. And he's coming back ultimately to bring peace. In that house, in the presence of Jesus, is peace, is shalom. He will make all things right. Everything. In your life, in the life of your loved ones, in your past, in your future, everything will be made right in Jesus Christ as he comes again. That is what Advent is about. Do you believe that? Do you long for that? 
my hope and my prayer for my life and your life is that it stirs you up inside. That you might worship and live for him in fullness of grace and truth during this holiday season. God wants to dwell with you. And he will. He's coming back. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, open up our hard hearts to receive what is true. That you are a God that loves us. You're a God that will never forsake us. You're a God that's promised your very presence with us to live with you forever. Father, as we enter into this, this season of Advent, Lord, would our hearts be stirred? Would our hearts be shaken by the voice of our God through, through your word that tells us that you love us, you forgive us, and that you want to be with us, and that you are going to be with us? Lord Jesus, come back quickly. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing.